morning. I want to welcome you again to Meadowland Church. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to be with you. I want to wish you all a happy Father's Day and just to encourage you and remind you that MJ's Coffee Shop is out there. And I know it's probably still a little early at this point for a wild dog. I don't know if any of you have done the wild dogs yet, but after, after first service, about like the perfect time. So they'll be hot, so go out and get yourself a wild dog. And, and I just have one request. There's like four options. So I need you all to try different ones and then report back to me which is the best. Because when I get mine, I just want to get the best one. So uh, let me know about that. Uh, also, there's coffee, which is, is delicious. And we just believe in being inspired and caffeinated. So make sure you hit that up. And uh, just a way to bless you and just so thankful for all of you. So all you men, go get your free hot dog and buy your wife a coffee. She'll love you for it. So also, Steve already talked about this, but we're super pumped for VBS next week. Uh, I love it every year when there's about this week in the summer where kids just take over uh, the church building, and it's probably one of my favorite weeks, and I think we probably have the most fun. It's like, it's like buying orange juice and concentrate. You know, you have to dilute it a little bit. VBS is like concentrated energy, power, excitement, and fun all in one little week bottle. And so we're looking forward to that next week. If you haven't signed up yet, you still have time to sign up. You just have to pay me some money to do it. it it's it's just a small fee. No, I'm joking. It's a large fee. So uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to do that. So VBS, there's still time to sign up. Also, if you, if you haven't maybe volunteered yet and you want to volunteer, uh, there's still time to do that as well. Because here's, here's the secret. Here's the secret, right? Whenever you volunteer for that stuff, we usually think about what could I do to contribute, right? What, what could I bring to the table? What could I do to help? And I would offer you this suggestion, something to ponder. Is that's really the wrong way to think about it. Because here's the deal. You think, hey, I'm here to help the kids, right? I'm here to help this program. I'm here to help VBS. But here's the reality. I guarantee you, if you were to serve next week in VBS, you would find that even though it benefited the kids and even though you brought something to the table and even though VBS would be better because you were there, what you would really find out is that you would be better, that you would be changed, that you would be served, and that you would be different, and that you would be so thankful that you actually did it because you would see something extraordinary happen in you that would not have happened if you didn't sign up for VBS as a volunteer. So... Think about it, pray about it, act soon, because it starts tomorrow, and we're pumped about it. With that said, we're going to jump in this morning to Mark chapter 10. I want to give you an opportunity to open up your Bibles to Mark. If you haven't grown up in church, if you haven't been around church, if you're not really familiar with the Bible, it's in the New Testament, so it means it's more to the right. Matthew, Mark, we're going to be in the second book of the New Testament, and we're going to be in Mark chapter 10 this morning. would love for you to get there. Also, for all you kids in the room... If you brought your Bibles this morning, I have candy for you. We've made that promise. If you, brought, if you bring your Bible each week, we'll give you candy because we think the Word of God is important. We have Smarties for you this week. And the reason we have Smarties for you this week is if you brought your Bible, you're just a smart kid. So we want to give you a Smartie. So see me after service, uh, and I will, I will hand that to you. I heard Steve poked an eye out last week with candy. I, I don't want to do that again. We're, we're, we're filing that with our insurance, what we're getting that taken care of. Glass eyes are not cheap, but we're gonna, so we're gonna hand it out this week. And uh, I love you, brother. I just had to. So uh, let me pray for us, and uh, we're gonna, we're gonna dive in. Father God, we come before you this morning, and we thank you again, God, for who you are. God, we thank you that as we read through scripture, we, we see in the Old Testament that uh, sometimes people didn't always know how to relate to you. But in the New Testament, you send us Jesus, that we see Jesus, your son, the chosen one who is the exact representation of your glory. And that Jesus says his whole mission, the whole reason is here so that we could know you, 
so we can have a relationship with you, so that we might be reestablished in relationship, that we might be redeemed from our sins, so that we could have an everlasting, life-giving relationship with you. And God, we know that it's our sin that separates us from you. It's our sin that causes us to rebel against you, God. So we make those decisions that we would choose ourselves and our own will or the momentary things over the eternal things that separate us. But you sent your son who died on the cross so we might be forgiven, so we might be redeemed, and that he rose on the third day so that we might have life. And I thank you that it's Jesus who tells us time and time again that when we think of you, God, that we should think of you as a father. Lord, that when he teaches us to pray, he tells us, hey, and when you pray, go before the Lord and say, our father. When he tells us about fear and needs, he says, do you not think your father loves you? And so God, on this Father's Day, we come before you and we thank you that you are our heavenly Father. Lord, that you are all the things that we would hope for, that you are all the things we long for, that you are all the things that we desire in our earthly Father, that you are the perfect Father. And God, I pray for all the fathers here in the room this morning, God, that you would be with them, that you would bless them, God, that maybe even this morning that you would reveal yourself to them in a way that they would know you so that they become more like you. And God, in the process of becoming more like you, God, that they would be saved by you, that they would become changed by you, and that they'd be a blessing to all those around them. And God, I pray this morning as we open up your word, I pray that you would gather with us here, Lord, that you would be present, that your will would be done. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do something significant inside of us this morning. God, I pray that we'd maybe see you in a new way. God, that maybe we'd get a bigger, clearer picture of who you are. And God, I pray that we wouldn't just hear your word this morning, but that we would be hearers and doers of your word. So we need your help with that. So we ask Jesus that you would work, and that you would be glorified, and that your will would be done. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Well, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of following Jesus. Hey, just, just to be completely transparent with you, I think for me, this has been my favorite series ever at Meadowland Church. I think I have probably personally benefited this uh, more than any other, any other series we've gone through. I, I've just been impacted by it each week. It seems as I wrestle with scripture, I just feel like I, I have to grow. I have to change. I, I have to make decisions about how I follow Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus. And I really hope it's been a blessing for you. I hope you've been challenged by it. I hope you've been inspired by it. I hope that God's doing things in you because of this series and the scriptures that we've been looking at. What we've been talking about is following Jesus. And we've been discovering what it means to follow him, how we follow him, maybe getting rid of some of the assumptions that we've had about him. And one of the most beautiful things that I've enjoyed about this series, we've said over and over again that following Jesus is really like a journey. That every single one of us is is probably in a different place, and that's totally okay. That we're all trying to figure it out. We've all maybe taken some steps, but we all have more steps to take. And we're all in different places than what we call our followship of Jesus. And that Jesus gives every single one of us this invitation to follow. He says, just come follow me. Just come follow me. And usually we think there's all kinds of things that come with that. Well, before I follow, I have to deal with some stuff. Before I follow, I have to get my sin under control. Before I follow, I have to get all my questions answered. Before I follow, I can't be skeptical anymore. Before I follow, I better get my life in order. And Jesus says, no, 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 just bring all that with you. Just bring all that. Bring all your doubt. Bring all your sin. Bring all your skepticism. Bring all your problems. Would you follow me? 
Would you come into a relationship with me where we could get to know one another? Would you begin to listen to me? Would you begin to heed my word? Would you begin to understand me? And as you begin to understand me, would you begin to trust me? And as you begin to trust me, would you be able to maybe just give me more and more of your life? And at some point, maybe you would see me for who I am. And as you get to know me and as you get to see me, at some point, hopefully you'll see me as who I really am, your Lord and your Savior. And maybe if you would trust me with some stuff, then maybe you would trust me with your soul. And maybe you would trust that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and that I would become your Lord and your Savior. And over the last couple weeks, there's kind of been this assumption that we haven't really talked about yet. But the assumption is this, right? That if Jesus is worth following, then he must be a good leader. Because when we think about following someone, we go, well, who do we follow? We follow leaders. And as we talk about Jesus saying, hey, would you follow me? There's this assumption that if we're willing to follow him, then he must have the capacity. He must have the ability. He must be able to lead us. I mean, if we're really talking about a relationship with Jesus is about hearing his word and doing his word, if following Jesus is about taking step after step following him, then the assumption is that he'd be willing to lead us. And see, most of us don't think of Jesus this way, do we? In fact, I, I bet that for most of us in our minds, we, we think that the idea of leadership is somehow separated from the church. Because we, we think things that like leadership is about changing things, but religion's about staying the same. We think things about leadership is all about the future. But it seems as though religion's all about the past. And for most of us, we don't see Jesus as a leader. In fact, if I asked you this morning before we got into this to make a list of all the qualities you think about Jesus, you'd probably say things like, He was an extraordinary communicator, He's a great teacher. Jesus did some really cool stuff. He's a miracle worker. I mean, Jesus did things that no one else was able to do. Jesus was compassionate. Jesus was often found around people that no one else loved, that no one else cared for, that he was always with the sick. He was always with the needy. He was always with those that no one else seemed to want to give time and attention to. He was a compassionate man. Say, man, Jesus, hey, he started a movement. Like, Jesus started this whole idea of church and disciples and that kind of stuff. Like, Jesus is great, but we, we often don't think of is that Jesus was a leader. And I would argue with you or offer you the suggestion that Jesus was the greatest leader that ever lived. And even though we've kind of disconnected ourselves from that, even though we've probably never thought of him in that way, here's, here's, here's the proof, right? It's been about 2,000 years, and we're still talking about him. And my guess would be is if you think about leaders that you respect, if you even think about great people in history, for the most part, the people who come to mind would be, have lived and have done some stuff within the last couple hundred years. Jesus, however, his leadership, the things that he said, the things that he did, it's 2,000 years later and we're still talking about him. We're still following him. And one of the things that's really, really incredible is in the book of Mark, Jesus has this whole conversation with his disciples. 
And what he says to them is, hey, I want to give you my leadership secret. I'm going to kind of give away the secret sauce here. I want you to know what the key is to my leadership. And the reason I want you to have this is because if you know it, then you can do it like me. You can be the kind of leader I am. In fact, he goes on to say this. Jesus says that he expects us as his followers to lead exactly as he leads. Now, this is what's so interesting about this. Is Jesus is having uh, these moments, he's having these, these talks with his disciples, with his followers, as they're usually walking in between places. And Jesus kind of has done some really amazing things, and the scripture we're going to see in a minute says that the guys who are with him, his disciples, we, we also call them the apostles, they're with him, and they're amazed by the things that he's doing. And then Jesus turns to them and has this conversation with them about leadership. And one of the things we have to say right at the get-go is these guys are completely unequipped, completely unprepared. They're, they're caught off guard by this conversation. Because Jesus kind of turns to them and says, here's the deal. One day you guys will be leaders. And wherever you lead and whomever you lead, this is how I expect you to lead. And I think every single, of those, every single one of those people who heard it for the first time will maybe be like us this morning and go, well, I'm not a leader. And I'm never going to lead like that. I'm never going to be in that kind of position. And one of the things that's so amazing is that's what they thought too. Because Jesus has this conversation with the disciples. They're like, I'm a tax collector. No one's going to follow me. I'm a fisherman. No one's going to follow me. And maybe you're here this morning and say, well, I don't know that anybody would ever follow me. And I would tell you that Jesus is in the habit of taking unlikely, unqualified people and qualifying them for the cause of leadership. That as we follow Jesus, he often puts us in strategic positions and strategic places according to his will. It says, where you are with the people who are around you, I expect you to lead. So maybe you're here this morning and you say, but I don't, I'm not a leader. You will be. And you go, well, I don't really know where I would lead. Well, you will lead somewhere. And someday you'll lead somebody. In fact, if you're a parent in the room, especially a father. This morning, I hope you get something from this because according to scripture, you're the leader. And this is how you know you're a leader. This is so simple because you might ask the question, well, what is a leader? Will you become a leader when just one person begins to follow you? That's it. Well, how do I know I'm a leader? Does anybody take their cues from you? Does anybody come for you to advise? Do you have authority? Do you set the pace? Does anybody follow you? And if just one person follows you, then that makes you a leader. And see, I think if we think about this long enough, we'd go, well, I might be a leader in some capacity that maybe in that circle of friends, you're the leader. Maybe with that group of people, you're the leader. Whenever you're around those people and you decide that, hey, we're going to go out to dinner and everybody goes, hey, where do you want to go? And nobody wants to make the decision. Whoever makes the decision, they're the leader. That maybe in that bus that you ride on those seats, those kids look to you. That maybe in that class at that desk, kids take their cue from you. Or maybe on that sports team, maybe in that office, maybe in that meeting, maybe in your family. My guess would be is that it, you lead somebody in somewhere in your life. God has placed you right where you are because he expects for you to lead like he leads. 
And if there's anybody that's here this morning that go, oh, that's not me, I'm not a leader, I would say, you're not a leader yet, but my guess would be the longer you follow Jesus, at some point you'll discover that someone would follow you. And Jesus is talking to a group of people kind of like us. And in Mark chapter 10, Mark records this for us. Now here's what we have to notice is Mark is a friend of Peter. And so Peter is telling Mark his account, and Mark is writing down the things that Peter is telling him. So this is Peter's perspective written down by Mark. And this is what Mark says, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32, it says, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed him were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Here's Here's what's happening. Jesus has performed some miracles, he's done some incredible things, but Jesus has also begun to tell his disciples there's trouble ahead. Things will not remain the way they are, things are about to change. And the disciples are finding themselves in this mixture of excitement, but also a little bit of fear. that They don't really know what's coming next. And I think what happens next is a tender moment. I think what happens next is one of these, one of these moments that separates those who were just kind of around Jesus and those who were with Jesus. Because there are only a few people that could say they ever heard this conversation directly from the lips of Jesus. So Jesus gathers them around. Okay, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come here. I, I got something to say to you. Mark chapter 10, verse 33. Saying, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. Says, hey, you know all those religious people? You know the guys who have been after us the whole time I've been doing ministry? You know the ones that always oppose us? Well, well here's the thing. When we get into Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over to them. And here's what's going to happen. They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he'll rise. Jesus goes, listen guys, I want you to know something. Because of the proximity in which you follow me, the trouble that's coming my way could find it at your doorstep. Because everybody knows how you follow me. Because everybody knows how much you love me. Because everybody knows how dedicated you are to me. The people that are coming for me could potentially come to you. And I'm trying to get you ready. I'm trying to prepare you. I want you to know what's ahead. Here's the deal. This is what they're going to do to me. They're going to condemn me even though I'm innocent. They're going to mock me. They're going to spit upon me. They're going to flog me. They're going to beat me. And eventually they're going to kill me. I want you to know that's going to happen. But here's what I also want you to know. And after three days, I'll come back. Like, I just want you to know it's going to get bad. But don't lose hope. You're going to see some things that I know you don't want to see. You're going to go through some things you don't really want to go through. But hold on to this fact. I'm going to come back. Even though they think they're going to kill me, they can't kill me. They can't hold me back. I am the Son of God. I will rise again on the third day. And Jesus is having this moment. And I imagine this is one of those intimate, tender, important, significant moments. And Jesus is kind of peering into the future and telling him, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen to me. This is what I'm going to go through. And this is what happens next. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. It says, and James and John. 
Now, the reason and is important is in the Greek, the word and means to interrupt. It doesn't mean that there was a whole lot of time here. Jesus is literally kind of reads like this, that Jesus says, hey, they're going to condemn me, they're going to mock me, they're going to spit upon me, that they're going to crucify me, and hey, I'm going to come back after three days. And it's almost like Jesus hasn't finished the sentence yet. He hasn't even gotten his breath in yet to say what's next. He says, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. They completely ruin the moment. Okay. Have you ever had one of these moments with your kids before? Have you ever done this before where you're having kind of a moment with your children? And you're telling them about how much you love them? Or are you trying to explain something deep to them and you kind of feel like you're having this moment? And you're like, oh, finally, we're getting through. And then your kid responds with something like, so that means I'm getting the toy, right? Or you feel like, hey, you're explaining how much you love them and you're like, so you're going to let me go to my friend's house then? And you're like, what in the world? Or maybe you're having that moment, and then your kid turns to you and says, so can I go play my video game now? Or maybe you've had this where you're married, and you think you're alone for a minute, so you begin to like kiss your spouse, and you hear from the back room, ah, which means they're watching. I can't even kiss my wife. And that's what this insinuates. Is this is what happens. Is Jesus is having this moment, and John and James come up to Jesus, and this is what, they, this is what they're saying to Jesus. Hey, we're going to ask you a question. Will you promise us that you'll say yes before you ask the question? Could you actually write on like a little, uh, could you just write on something for us that says, whatever comes next, I'll say yes to. Is a parent of your kids ever asked you for this? Do you promise you'll say yes, Dad? What's the question? I want the answer, and then I'll give you the question. This is what they're saying to Jesus. We want to guarantee that whatever we ask you next, you'll say yes to, but Jesus is way smarter than this. Mark chapter 10, verse 36. He said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one in your left, in glory. So this is how this whole scene plays out. Jesus is revealing to the disciples what's going to happen to him, what he's going to go through. And just as he finishes this, James and John are up and go, hey, Jesus, can we talk to you real quick? Have a little conversation. We're going to ask you something. We'd like you to say yes to us, but here's the deal. Like, hey, hey that's, that's really good what's going to happen to you. Okay, we got that, but this is about us right now. So when all that stuff happens to you, which, hey, we're sorry about, by the way. We're sorry you have to go through that. But when that happens, can we have a little bit of power? Can we get a little bit of authority? Because here's what they believe about Jesus. They believe that he will be king. They believe that he will have all authority, that he will have all power, that he will have all glory. And so James and John quickly go from being concerned about Jesus to being concerned about themselves. And they go, hey, Jesus, we know that sometime soon we think after this whole Jerusalem, and we're not really sure what you said about that whole thing about getting arrested and murdered. Like That, that sounds horrible, but here's the thing. What's in it for us? I mean, after you die and you say you're going to rise again, what do we get out of it? Because here's the thing, like, we, we left everything. Remember that, Jesus? We left everything to follow you. And, like, remember when, when people spit at you, sometimes they miss and they hit us. And when people throw stones at you, sometimes they miss and hit us. And when people threaten to kill you, they usually threaten to kill us, too. So here's the deal. What do we get out of this? And so here's our request. Would you keep us in your inner circle? 
Like you've told us that, that when you die and you're raised again, that you'll sit at the right hand of your father. Well, could we be next to you? Could we get some chairs at that table? Could we be a part of that meeting? Could we be listed like God the Father, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, James and John? Can we get in on that? And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. And here's what Jesus begins to reveal to them. He says, you have no idea what you're asking me for. Like, you don't even get it. Jesus begins to, to reveal to us the relationship he has with the Father. What Jesus begins to use is some really illustrative language to say that this is God's will for him. And that the reason that Jesus would be exalted is because it's his Father's will. That the reason that Jesus would be willing to be condemned, spit upon, mocked, crucified, is because his Father would will it for him. That the whole reason that he'll raise on the third day is because his Father has willed it for him. And he says, you guys are arguing with me about power. You're arguing with me about authority. You're asking me to elevate you. And don't you get the point? The whole reason I came was not to stay high, but to get low. I didn't come to gain authority. I came to pour out my authority for you. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I didn't come to be exalted. I came to be humiliated, condemned, and murdered. And I did all of that for you. I did all that so that you might be saved. I did all that so that you might have life. I did all that so that you might have a relationship with my father. He says it this way, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? They said to him, we are able. Like, we think we can do this, Jesus. We think we can do what you do. We think we can go through what you're going through. And they begin to believe that they can go and do the things that Jesus is about to do next. They have no idea. They completely miss the point. In fact, he goes on to say to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those whom has it been prepared. Because guys, I want you to know this is about the will of my Father. I want you to know that I didn't come here and I didn't call you so that you could be on the, the executive board of heaven. I didn't come so that you could be worshipped. I didn't come and choose you so you could be made into statues in some churches that people look to as icons for worship. He said, I called you to be like me. I called you to follow me. I called you to have a relationship with me. I called you so that you might have life. I called you so that you might spread the gospel to other people so they might have life. And don't you get it? Don't you know that all the authority in heaven and all the authority on earth belongs to my Father? I'm not here to give you leadership spots in heaven. I'm not here to give you authority. And Jesus says, but since we're on the topic, since you guys want to talk about authority, since you guys want to talk about power, 
Since you guys want to talk about leadership, we can have a conversation, but this is what happens next. Verse 41. And when the ten heard it, so the other apostle, the other disciples begin to hear this conversation. When the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Now you could read this like they were mad that they brought it up, but that's not what the word actually says. What the Greek word implies is they began to argue. You think you're going to sit on the right hand? I'm going to sit on the right Like, you're four seats away, bro. Like, you know, Judas was there, like, we're not sure you're going to make it. Like, we, we, don't, like, we don't even think you get a spot. And, and, and so, like, Jesus is having this conversation, and they all begin to argue. Hey, Jesus, would you, would you kind of put us in order? Would you line us up, like, who's going to sit right next to you, and who's going to be by, the ba- who's going to be by like, the back door of the room? Judas. Anyway, so, the, so they begin to have this whole conversation. And then Jesus called them to him, and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And the great ones exercise authority over them. He goes, guys, you know what leadership's like. You know how the Gentiles do this thing. People who are in authority lord it over those who are underneath their authority. Those who are high-ranking officials, they use their power for themselves. That They rule over people. And they usually hang that authority over them. Don't you mess with me. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what kind of power I have? Don't you know who you're talking to? He says, you know how it is. You know how people hold authority over people? You know how that boss always reminds you that he's the boss? You know how people in authority usually leverage their authority to always get their way? Because you know how people who are on the top always kind of remind you that they're on the top? Remember how people in authority, it seems as though they feel like everybody else's purpose is just to serve them? Because you kind of know what it's like. And I think maybe like us, the disciples go, no, we get it. And here's the thing, Jesus, all of us want to be in authority. All of us want to be rulers. We don't want to be ruled. We all want to be governors. None of us want to be governed. We all want to be on the top. Like, none of us go to the job interview saying, no, my 10-year plan is to stay bottom rung on the ladder. Keep me in the mailroom as long as you would like. Right? Oh, Jesus, we get it. And, and here's the thing. Like, that's what we want. Like, we, we want to be leaders. We want to have a little bit of authority. But we want to be able to remind people, hey, do you know who I am? Do you, you, see, you see what it says on my desk? Did you read the door when you came in? Did my secretary remind you of who I am when you called? We, we, want, we want that. Jesus says to them, you know what it's like for those Gentiles who have authority? How they hold it over people? And I think the disciples from the moment are like, okay, finally, we're going to get it. We're going to get a little authority. We're going to get a little power. We're going to get our way. And Jesus says this, Mark chapter 10, verse 43. But it shall not be so among you. What? We don't get that? I don't get the corner office? I don't get to remind people of who they're talking to? But not among you. And I think they all kind of leaned in like, Jesus, we're not real sure what you're going to say next. In fact, Jesus, we're not real sure we're going to like what you say next. 
And here's what Jesus is about to reveal to them, and it's what he's about to reveal to us too. Is Jesus is going to reveal that there's this way that people lead, but then there's the way that he leads. Just, hey, I get it. Uh, you're in the marketplace, you're in the business world, maybe you were taught a certain way, and you know how leadership works. You know that it's about power, and you know it's about authority, and it's about management, and it's about getting people to do things on time, and it's about getting stuff done on time, and it's about getting the project done, and making sure the business stays in the, in the black versus the red, and he goes, but you know all that stuff, but here's what I want you to know, but not so among you. I don't want you to do it the way everybody else does it. I don't necessarily want you to do it the way that you learned it. I want you to do the way that I do it, and here's what Jesus reveals to us, is the best leaders are also followers. The best leaders are followers. And see, most people don't tell you that, do they? They talk about the leader's the leader, but Jesus says, hey, remember this, the best leaders are followers. And Jesus reminds us, just like he reminds them, that to become leaders, we also have to be followers. Mainly, we become followers of him. That leaders aren't necessarily people who are always charging out and doing things on their own, but usually leaders are following the direction of a leader. And Jesus is telling his disciples and he's telling us, hey, don't forget to follow me. Hey, when you get a little bit of authority, don't get too big for your britches. Hey, when you get a little bit of power, don't forget that you still need me. When they give you the corner office, when you get the official title, when people begin to come for you for advice, when somebody asks you to teach the class, when you go from being managed to now managing others, don't forget that you still need me. Don't forget that I'm still the leader. And don't forget that the best leaders start as followers. And that your capacity and your ability to follow somehow affects your ability and your capacity to lead. And Jesus goes on in Mark chapter 10, verse 43, says, But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you, they're like, here it comes, here it comes. Who wants to be great? I do. And you know what I know about being great? I want to be greater than him. I don't want to be number 12 in heaven. I want to be at least in the top five. Like an American idol, if I can get to the top three, I might get famous. So let's just shoot for the top three. Whoever wants to be great among you, well, I think I can at least beat him. I think they all lean in. Peter looked over at Mark and said, hey, take notes on this. We're going to need this one day. He says, but it shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. I imagine maybe like us, they start to look at one another like, can I get a, can I get a different class? Is it, Jesus, is, this, is there maybe like a beta version of this? Like, what do you mean servant? What do you mean, slave of all? I thought we were talking about leadership. I thought we were talking about power. I thought we were talking about authority. I think Jesus responds to us like he responds to them and says, oh, we are. But if we follow him, then we should lead like him. And Jesus reveals about his leadership that he didn't come just to lead. He didn't come so that he could be served, but he came to serve. 
And what Jesus calls you to, what Jesus calls me to, is wherever you lead and whomever you lead, you should leave like Jesus. And Jesus isn't arguing against point leadership. Jesus isn't saying, hey, if you're put in a point of leadership, you have to always get a vote to do something. He's not saying that as a leader, all you do is stand at the front door and hold the door all day and go, after you, after you, after you, after you, after you. Because you'd never get anything done. Jesus isn't arguing against management. He's not saying that you can't have your business end in the black. He's not saying that you you can't meet deadlines. He's not even saying there's anything wrong about being a high-powered leader, but this is what he's saying. If you lead, lead like he leads. And the way that Jesus tells us that we should lead is like him, that we are to leverage our authority for the benefit of those who are under our authority. Jesus goes, here's the secret. Here's the key to successful leadership. Jesus goes, here, if you want the one sentence to sum up the way I lead, we are to leverage our authority for the benefit of those under our authority. So listen, when you're a leader, you take all your talents, you take all your gifts, you take all your abilities, you take all your power, you take all your authority, and you use it to leverage. You use it to empower. You use it to elevate. You use it to benefit those under your authority. Because here's the deal, right? Most of us have been blessed by the opportunity to have really bad people in authority over us, haven't we? How many of you have ever had a bad boss? Okay, if you work here, you can't say that right now. <laughs> Keep your hand down. Laura. Anyway... And here's, here's the reason that you had a bad boss. I'll, I'll sum it up in one sentence for you. Here's what you thought about your bad boss. You believed that at the end of the day, if you asked that bad boss, tell me your leadership skill, he would say, I'm here for me. The reason I'm part of this company, the reason that I'm boss is I'm here for me, and because I'm here for me, you better look out for you. Because as the boss, as the one in authority, the one in power, the one that has the, the plate on the door, here's what I'm here for. Me, and here's what I'm here to advance, me. And if I'm looking out for me, then you better look out for you. You ever had one of those bosses before? A boss that knocks on the door, you just think to yourself, oh, man. The boss that every time he sits down at your desk, you know, this is somehow going to be my fault. This is somehow going to end poorly for me. Somehow the decision you made, somehow your lack of management, somehow your lack of leadership, it's now going to get passed to me. And if you always look out for you, then I have to look out for me. And Jesus says, it doesn't, you don't have to look hard to find bad leadership. You don't have to look hard to find bad bosses. And Jesus said, you know the way that, that guy does it? The way that he's always about him, the way he's always there for him, the way he's always here for her? Not so with you. You're not to use your power, you're not to use your authority, you're you're not supposed to use what you can leverage for you, but you're here to leverage it for the benefit of them. He says, here's what I want you to believe about leadership. Here's what the people underneath you should think that you think about leadership, that you would believe at the end of the day, I'm here for you, and because I'm here for you, you can be for the people who report to you. That if you have people underneath your authority in the business world that you could say, hey, I'm in your corner. I'm here to make you successful. I'm here to help you accomplish all the things you can accomplish. So here's the deal. Because I'm here for you, 
you can now be here for the people around you. This is true for the marketplace. This is true for the business world. This is true in your home. If the people in your home believe that you're there for them, then they no longer have to watch out for themselves what they can be for the family. This is true for a sports team. If the people on the team believe you're there for them, then they can now be about the team instead of saying, hey, if you're just there for you, then I'll just watch out for me. And Jesus tells us, hey, I want you to leverage your authority. I want you to leverage your power for other people. Because how am I a leader? You're a leader if one person follows you. And you go, what am I supposed to do if only one person follows me? What am I supposed to do if 10,000 people follow me? Jesus says, you're supposed to use your power. You're supposed to use your authority. You're supposed to use your leverage for the benefit of those beneath you. And at the end of the day, the people who follow you, the people who report to you, the people who work under you, those who consider you a leader, although they might not always agree with you, although they might not believe you've always made the best decisions, although they might not think you're as awesome as you think you're awesome, ultimately, they should believe that you're there for them. That you're not just about yourself, that it's not just about your agenda, but you're there for them. And that people would trust you enough and that people would believe in you enough and people would confide in you because they'd go, hey, you know what, that leader? I believe they're here for them. And you can do that in a classroom. You can do that on a school bus. You can do it on a sports team. You can do it in that study group. You can do it in that group of friends. You can do it in your family. You can do it in just that office. You can do it in that corporate office. You can do it in that meeting. But if you're there for them, people should know. Hey, there's something different about this guy. And you may be asked the question, well, hey, I've never seen this before. I don't even understand how this works. There's a, a really great book called Good to Great. It's a business book. And the author, Jim Collins, wanted to set out, and here's, here was kind of his thesis. This is the question he was starting to answer. What makes a great company? What makes a great company? And he's a researcher, and he said, so we're going to stumble upon this. We're going to do all kinds of research. And what they did is they took all kinds of companies. And so just to give you an example, they said, hey, let's take a look at Best Buy and Circuit City. How many of you have been to Circuit City lately? They're not around anymore. And then there's Best Buy, who's doing okay. Now, here's, here's the deal, because some of you go, well, Best Buy, you know, closing some down. He just came out with a book about a year ago called Built to Last. And even in the midst of the recession and the economy, there's some companies that are excelling while there's other companies closing down. He said they have the same market with the same target group. What's the difference? How come Walgreens is all over the place? And they thought, this is what Jim Collins admits in his book. He said, I thought the number one quality we would find is charisma. He said, I thought when we went into this thing, we would find that top-level leaders, top-level CEOs the number one factor we would find, he said, I thought it would be charisma. They were magnetic. They could own a room. They could have a conversation. Jim Collins admits that he was completely surprised. Because what they did is they said that there's different levels of leadership, and what they were looking for were level five leaders. That these were leaders of leaders. They were leading companies. They were leading people. That they met these five qualifications. And at the end of the day, when all the research was in, Jim Collins and his research group were completely surprised because the number one quality they found in top-level leaders was not charisma. It was humility. That the companies that were succeeding, 
the companies that were growing, the companies that could actually hire top-level leaders of other companies, it was the fact that the leaders were humble. He says it this way in his book, Good to Great. He says, level five leaders embody a paradoxical mix of personal humility and professional will. They are ambitious to be sure, but ambitious first and foremost for the company and not themselves. And he said, for the most part, they found five characteristics that unified these top-level leaders, but he said, other than those five things, they were all completely different. In fact, he said at one point that you could probably get them all in a room and they wouldn't even do so well together, but humility is at the top of the list. That somehow these people were approachable, that somehow these people wasn't about them, that their attitude was, we're here not for ourselves. We're here for those who are underneath our leadership, who are underneath our authority. And Jim Collins admits that he and his group were completely surprised. I think most people that read the book were completely surprised. Maybe there's some of you here that are completely surprised. And I think when they wrote the book, Jesus leaned in and said, I said that 2,000 years ago. Not a surprise. Remember in Mark chapter 10, I told the guys, hey, you're not here to be served. Hey, if you want to be first, then you got to be last. If you want to be on the top, then you got to serve on the bottom. And I just find it amazing that a research group looking at companies would prove what Jesus said absolutely to be correct. Now, here's the deal. If you're like me, as you begin to read the scripture, there's a little bit of conflict. Because there's everything you know. There's everything you've been taught. As much as we love our dads, right, how many of us can attest that conversations with dad usually ended this way? How come? Because I said so. And you knew when dad said that, the conversation was over, right? Like, he said it, I'm done with it. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But somehow we felt like, well, I'm the leader. I'm the powerhouse. What I say goes. And when Jesus says, yeah, what you say goes. But use all that you have and all that you are and all your power and all your authority and leverage it for those beneath you. That those who follow you, that those who are underneath your authority should believe at the end of the day that you are there for them more than you are there for yourself. And there may be some of us here that go, I just don't know how to do that. So two questions and we're done. Two questions you can ask people who follow you. And the first one, if you're not good at it, just be careful. Because the first time you ask it, someone might die in your presence because they'll have a heart attack. And these I've stolen from people. Years ago, somebody told me this one. They said, listen, you need to start asking people this. What can I do to help? Because if I take giftedness tests, if you, if you know me, I'm a doer. I'm an activator. I struggle with this because my wife will want to talk to me about stuff and I just want to fix it. And you guys, you ever have this conversation with your wife where you're like, well, let's do this. And she says, I don't want you to do anything about it. I just want you to listen. And I always respond, I'm so bad at that. If you don't want me to do anything about it, just don't tell me about it. Because if you tell me about it, I'm going to do something about it. Just kind of how I roll. If you say there's a squeaky wheel, I'm going to get out duct tape and WB-40 and try to fix it. That's just how I roll. And so I'd have conversations with people, and people would come in and say, hey, can I talk to you about something? And they would talk to me about it and say, well, I'm going to fix this. They go, well, I don't want you to fix it. I'm like, then why are we talking? And I had somebody tell me earlier on, here's the new question. What can I do to help? 
And the advice I got went something like this. You need to start asking people, what can I do to help? And then just shut up, which I'm also not very good at. (laughs) Now, here's the deal. What would you do tomorrow if your boss knocked on your door, sat down across from your desk, and said, what could I do to help you? For most of you, you'd hit the floor, wouldn't you? You'd have to grab your chest and be like, this is it. The apocalypse is coming. Now, it's easy to pick on other people, but what do you think the people that follow you would do? If you walked in the door tomorrow and said, hey, good morning. What can I do to help you? Husbands, what would your wife do if you began to ask them that question? Hey, what can I do to help? She might hit the floor. One of the questions you can ask as a servant leader is this, what can I do to help you? How can I bring all that I am, all my gifts, all my knowledge, all my ability, all my talents, all my power, all my authority, how could I use that to help you? What are you facing today that I could help you with? What kind of things are you encountering that I could help you navigate? What can I do to help you? Second one is this. Do you have everything that you need to do everything that you need to do? Do you have everything you need to do everything you need to do? And I've just found if you would ask people these two questions, it completely changes the environment and the atmosphere of the conversation. Today, I know you have a job description, but is your, is your leader, is the person you report to, hey, honey, I know we've been talking about some goals around the house. Here's, here's just the question. What can I do to help? And do you have everything you need to do everything you need to do? And then I give you the same advice that I got. Then just shut up and listen. And you won't be able to do everything. You won't be able to do it all. But here's the key that I learned from somebody else. Always be willing to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. You might not be able to supply everybody in your company with everything that you need, but you can probably supply a few. You might not be able to take something off of everybody's to-do list, but you could probably take a few. So always be willing to do for one what, you could, what you'd like to do for everyone. Because we say that from time to time, right? Well, if I do it for him, I have to do it for everybody. It's the biggest lie I've ever heard. And you go, well, where do you see that? Well, Jesus didn't like not heal the blind guy to go, if I heal you, I have to heal every blind guy, sorry. Hey, lame guy, I'd heal your legs, but if I do it for you, I have to do it for everybody. Hey, Jarius, if I bring your daughter back from the dead, I have to raise every dead child. It's not how Jesus rolled. Jesus always used his authority, always used his power, always used all that he was, all that he had, for the benefit of those around him. And Jesus always did for the one what I think he wishes he could do for everyone. And Jesus sums this whole thing up. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And that's the question, Jesus, how far would you go with that? Jesus, I mean, how, how, what's the end of your service? I mean, when would you say, I just can't do that? And to give his life as a ransom for many. By the word, why the word many means 
you and me. And as we follow Jesus, we have an opportunity to lead like Jesus. And you might feel exactly like the disciples felt that you're unqualified, that it'll never happen for you, and maybe it won't happen the way you want it to happen, or at least you should think it happened. But I think here's what Jesus says to you, and he says to me. At some point, wherever you are, you will lead someone. And in that moment that you have people who are looking to you for leadership, in that moment that you have some power, in that moment that you have some influence, in that moment that you have some authority, Jesus says, by the way, when you follow me, I expect you, I command you, to lead like me. And I know there's ways that everybody does it, and you've seen it done a hundred ways, but not so for you. But do it like me. As a leader, you're here to serve. As a leader, you're here to give leverage. As a leader, you're here to equip. As a leader, you're here to empower. As a leader, you're here for the benefit of people beneath you. Would you be willing? to lead like Jesus leads. Now here's where this gets tricky. Because what Jesus has already told us is great leaders are also followers. So the question is, will you follow Jesus in the way that you lead? And if you do, I think Scripture guarantees us that it will be good for those underneath you It'll be good for you, and God gets all the glory. So wherever you lead, and whomever you lead, would you just follow your leader and lead like Jesus leads? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. We thank you, God, for who you are. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you would be so open to us, that you'd even talk to us about things like power and authority and leading people. God, I pray that as we continue to worship this morning, I pray that we kind of meditate on this word, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal some next steps to us. God, I pray that we would go, hey, this is where I'm wrong. Hey, this is where I need to change. Hey, this is how I've always done it, but now I've heard the word of the Lord. So what do I need to do? How do I apply this to my life, God? pray that you'd meet with us now. God, forgive us for the times that we've abused our power. Forgive us for the times that we've abused our authority. Forgive us for the time that we've thought that it's all about us. But God, I pray today that we would meet with you and see you in a way we've never seen you before. And I pray that for those of us who are leading, that our leadership would be to leverage our power, our gifts, our talents, and our abilities for the benefit of others. And I, God, I pray for those in the room, maybe the kids in the room who are still young. God, I pray that even though maybe they're not leading yet, God, as they begin to take those steps, I pray that when they do lead, that they would lead the way that you lead. Because we believe, Jesus, that our kids are going to take their generation, that the kids in this room will take the church to places we've never been before, that they're the next generation, they're the next level, they're the next leaders, and I pray that today, God, you'd begin to plant a seed in them. They begin to follow you in such a way that when they're ready to lead, they'd be a force to be reckoned with because they'd be so close to you, Jesus they would follow you, even when they're leaders. God, I pray for all of us in this room, God. I pray that because of your word this morning, that the marketplace would be different, the, be, the business meeting would be different. I pray that the atmosphere in our homes would be different. I pray that the school bus and the classrooms and the sports teams would be different. 
I pray that the way we handle business would be different, God. I pray that we would all follow you in such a way that we would use all that you've given us and all that we have to benefit those who are underneath our authority, those who follow us, those who consider us to be their leaders. And I pray, God, it would be for their good, for our good, and ultimately for your glory. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.